Good morning and welcome to this gathering of the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to our church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision for church, if you'd like to get connected to biblical community through groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve the body of Christ with us, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word HUBCITY to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. But now, as we're about to enter into corporate worship, if you're concerned about having little ones in service with you, we want you to be at ease. We love kids and have a lot of them here. There are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary. Our kids ministry is always available to you. And we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Well, hey, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor uh, here at the Hub City Church. And again, on behalf of our church family, we are glad you are here to worship Jesus with us this morning. Uh, just a few things before we get to the word. The first thing is I just want to celebrate uh, our Easter gathering together last week. Uh, it was great if you were here for it. Uh, we had an awesome time celebrating the resurrection of King Jesus, and we had uh, uh, 190 people join us last week for worship, which is incredible. Um, that's the most people we've had in this building on a Sunday morning since uh, Easter 2019, okay? So we praise God for that, uh, and it's not just because we enjoy having a full building, but because we want as many people in this room and in our kids' ministry classrooms on Sunday as we can get, because that's precious ears and hearts who are hearing the gospel um, in these rooms. And so, yeah, which I, I emphasized this last week, but everything about who we are and what we do as a church flows out of the gospel. The gospel, uh, for full clarity, is the good news that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came into the world to save sinners by living the perfect life that we never could, by atoning, uh, by dying an atoning death on the cross that we deserved, right? And then rising triumphantly uh, three days later from the grave. And it's, it's Jesus' resurrection that proves that he is God and that he graciously offers the hope of eternal life to anyone who will place their faith in him as their Savior and Lord. And so uh, and it's, it's, this is a kind of a simple way to articulate our vision as a church, um, we just want to use all of our energy to see as many people in Crestview come to believe that gospel as we possibly can, right? And then teach them to have an abiding relationship with Jesus and live their lives with the restoration of their true identity as image bearers of God and for their true purpose of glorifying God. So uh, anyway, that's who we are. If you want to learn more about us, as my uh, lovely wife said in the welcome video, you can text Hub City to uh, 97000, uh, or you can just talk to somebody at the connection desk when you leave this morning, all right? Um, last thing I'll say is uh, at the start of every season, we release a schedule with all of the things we're planning to do together as a church family over the next few months. And so we're winding down our spring schedule and we'll be releasing our summer schedule very soon. But as a preview, we'll be looking forward to having some fun uh, fellowships out in our backyard, a few uh, outreach opportunities like our 4th of July outreach that we do every year at Twin Hills Park, as well as my favorite, one of my favorite things to do together, uh, beach baptisms. All right. Uh, and so all of that is coming down the pike. So stay tuned with social media, the Church Center app, uh, our website, basically any digital platform we have, the schedule is going to be up there soon. Okay? Okay. Let's jump back into our teaching series in the book of Proverbs. It's called Get Wisdom. This is our 10th week in Proverbs, and we'll be here for a couple more weeks before transitioning to a New Testament book of the Bible, um, Ephesians, if you're wondering. And so I'm pretty stoked about that. But Proverbs 
is a critical book of the Bible in the Old Testament for anyone who desires to live a godly and well-ordered life. Uh, We've spent a lot of time discussing the genre of wisdom literature up until now, but as a review, uh, Proverbs offers just a ton of kind of bite-sized sayings that aid us in our day-to-day wisdom for Christian living. To boil that down, we've just said this is a series focused on spiritual growth. Usually, uh, the way that we teach the Bible is more, um, you know, like we move through a book verse by verse, but with Proverbs, the best way to teach it is more uh, thematically as opposed to systematically, okay? Because Proverbs addresses a lot of topics, but it does not address one topic per chapter. The nuggets on each topic are kind of sprinkled throughout the book, and so you have to, to teach on that topic, you kind of have to pull those themes together, pull those threads together in one sitting. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Today we're going to start three weeks on uh, wisdom regarding human relationships, and the way that we'll begin is by talking about something super fundamental to relationships, that is words. Words. The Bible puts a pretty big emphasis on the importance of our words, both on what they say about us uh, and what they can do to others, either for good Uh, or bad. And Proverbs has some real zingers that are critical to think through on that topic of words, okay? Uh, So let's pray, and we will dive in. Father, we thank you for this day on which we're able to come and worship you together freely. God, we do not take that for granted as we remember that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not share this luxury and are forced to meet secretly and have the threat of great punishment if they are discovered. And so we thank you for this grace of simply being here together this morning. And we thank you, God, for the rain. While rain on a Sunday morning can be, for some reason, a deterrent to church attendance for some, we are reminded by it that the timing and measure of your provision is always perfect. But Lord, now as we get into your word to discuss words in general, I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us to see the profound beauty of how you've made us to be word-speaking creatures as a reflection of your own glory. Help us to think deeply about what our words as individuals might say about who we are spiritually and help us in the end to be shaped by your words so that our words are a blessing and not ever a harm to others. Father, as a man who uses a lot of words on a weekly basis. I am painfully aware that, uh, as your word says, when words are many, transgression is often not lacking. And so I pray earnestly for myself now that my words would be first and foremost true and glorifying to you, but secondarily helpful to all who are here listening. My desire is not for them to get stuck on anything I say, but through me that they might hear from you. I pray all of this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Well, I think I I use kids as a sermon illustration more than anything else, but the reason for that is, well, first of all, because I have a lot of them, okay, a lot, you know, four, Um, but also uh, because I believe in God's design that children are meant to illustrate some very profound things for us in a very humbling way. There's just something really self-deprecating about admitting to your six-year-old that the inconsistency they've just pointed out in your character is true, it's accurate, and you're sorry, right? Um, That will really knock you down a few pegs, and so if you want to be humbled, uh, have kids. That's free advice. But uh, anyway, (laughs) you know, something that's very wild, and increasingly so for me anyway, is how kids literally become like little carbon copies of their parents in in good ways, but also in not-so-good ways. It's it's really sweet on one hand how you'll see something about your kid's personality that they clearly got from you, okay? And it's it's precious the way they ask questions or the way they articulate their feelings or things they like and, and don't like. Um, on the other hand, 
sweet and precious are not the words I would use. And one of my kids has an attitude problem that they're expressing in an eerily similar way to me, okay? Um, Such is parenting, though, right? We're training them, but they are teaching us, too, and usually they don't realize it. But anyway, the reason I begin with this is because of a foundational principle within the Christian worldview. It's the principle of the Imago Dei, or the image of, of God. In almost every gospel presentation I give, I try to help people understand this doctrine because I believe it's critical for understanding who we are, okay, and, and really what our purpose is in life. In the beginning of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, when God creates man, he creates man in a way that no other creature was created. God says that he's creating mankind in his likeness or in his Image. And so, uh, really, almost everything about us is made to resemble the qualities of our Creator. How we have relationships with one another, how we think and create and express emotion, how we desire order and justice and life and so forth. In the same way, if you have kids, you look at your kids and realize that they're increasingly becoming these, uh, you know, like little goofy and yet glorious copies of yourself. The same is true of us in relation to God. Okay? And one very unique thing about us as humanity that is like God, that really no other creature comes close to in complexity, is our ability to communicate verbally. Right? Speech. We speak because God speaks. Okay? Have you ever thought about that? I found it very interesting as I was preparing for this sermon, reading Genesis 1, um, as God uh, makes the land creatures and the sea creatures. He pronounces blessing on them and tells them <clears throat> he tells them what to do, right? In a general sense. But when he creates the first man and woman, there's there's one phrase that's different than it was with all of the animals. Let me read it to you. Genesis 1, 27-28. Says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living, every living thing that moves on the earth. Did you catch that? It says, God blessed them. And then he said to them. <laughs> he said to them. God doesn't do this with the birds or the fish. He blesses them, but he doesn't start a conversation with them, right? He only does that with humanity. He only does that with the ones who are made in his image, who are like him in the sense that they will be able to use words to communicate with a level of intricacy that no other creature shares. So human speech is really an incredible phenomenon that is a great evidence of God. It truly is the thing that sets us above every other species from a merely physical standpoint. And, you know, atheistic scientists may say um, that, you know, speech is just a, it's a product of evolution, but it seems to me I mean, I, you know, I'm not a scientist, but seems to me like if that were the case, speech being so beneficial and all, you'd have all kinds of other animals talking to one another by now, right? And we'd be living in a real life Zootopia. But they don't. <laughs> they don't. Only we do. Only humans can communicate through speech, and then convert that speech into writing and all of the intricate societal structures that come along with that. We speak because God speaks, and we were made in the image of God. And so this is the first point I want to make about words this morning. Words are a unique and powerful tool given to us by God for the purpose of reflecting his image. This may not be something that you think about much because speech is so 
um, inherently woven into our existence. But I, I think it would be helpful as a matter of application to just sit and marvel for a few moments, either later today or maybe tomorrow, um, at the fact that words just come out of you. <laughs> words just, they just come out of you. Not only from your mouth, but words are constantly being generated first in your heart and in your mind. And not only that, but you can see words with your eyes and you can take them in to your heart and your mind. You can synthesize them and process them, and then you can utilize them for various things. I'm going to chase this rabbit for just a minute because I think it's important. If you're someone who struggles to read your Bible, okay, if you're someone who struggles to read your Bible, and I mean like because you're not interested in reading the Bible, perhaps you should marvel more at the fact that God has had his very words recorded and preserved for you to read them and in turn understand who he is and really to know him, right? You don't have to be an avid reader to love the Bible because reading the Bible is not like reading a Sue Grafton detective novel, okay, for entertainment. Reading the Bible is entering in to the conversation with God who made you to communicate with and in turn to glorify him, right? So the existence of words and word-speaking creatures is a pretty profound principle. And because God's words are incredibly meaningful and they actually have power, so too do our words. Josh, Josh was mentioning this earlier in the service. Our, our words are not no big deal. Okay? How we speak means something, and how we speak actually does things. A well-known pastor that I hugely respect, Ray Ortland said this. He said, the temptation is to think, but I'm not doing anything. It's only words. But words alone can bring a government down or establish peace, destroy a marriage or renew hope, crush a child's sense of worth or lift him to confidence and joy. Words can unify a church or splinter it into angry factions. Words can send a soul to hell or to heaven. When we observe carefully the impact of our words, we see why God cares so intensely about them. The book of Proverbs undergirds Ortland's assertion that God cares about words. Listen to some of the Proverbs that speak directly to the topic of words. Proverbs 12, uh, 14, and 18 say, uh, From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hands comes back to him. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. These uh, particular proverbs really just reiterate the importance of the spoken word, as we've already said, particularly in regards uh, to what words can do. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue is able to engage in matters of life and death. This is true, isn't it? If you think about it, this is true. From a spiritual and a physical perspective, how we speak to people and what we say to them is able to have sway on their physical and spiritual livelihood. Okay? And I want to talk about that in just a few moments, but before we get there, I also want to drill down on something that may seem obvious, but um, the words that we say say more than we're saying. Following that? <laughs> the words that we say say more than we're saying. 
They say something much deeper about who we are as individuals. You see, as image bearers of God, there are a majority of things that we are inherently that we are because God is. Okay, we've already talked about that. You know, there are also a lot of things um, that God is that we are not, okay, because we're not him. Right? These are um, called incommunicable or non-transferable attributes. God is omniscient, that is all-knowing, and we are not. Okay? Uh, God is omnipotent, that is all-powerful, and we are not. Right? And uh, God is omnipresent, that is, God is everywhere all the time, and we certainly are not. But also... It goes the other way, okay? There's one really important thing we need to understand in this conversation about us, a good thing, that is not like God, okay? We are made to be worshipers by default, okay? We're made to be worshipers by default. God is not a worshiper, He's the one who is to be worshipped, okay? But for us as human beings, everything we do, Christians and non-Christians alike, is somehow tied to our worship. God has given us a choice as to what we will worship, but he has not given us the ability to stop worshipping, okay? It's what we were made for. To worship him. And while we have the free will to redirect our worship away from God, there is no off switch or neutral gear to our worship. Every action, every affection, and every word that comes out of us says something about who or what we ascribe ultimate worth to. Either to God or wrongly, to ourselves or to some aspect of God's creation. And Jesus says that our worship, whether in word or deed, flows from one central source, our hearts. We talked in depth about our hearts earlier in this, earlier in this series, and what we said was that in Scripture, the heart is usually not referring to the organ in your body, but the center of who you are, your, your most inward being, the seat of your mind, will, and emotions. Paul Tripp calls the heart the causal core of your personhood because that's how the Bible talks about the heart. We live out of our hearts. And in Matthew 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and pretty bluntly trying to help them get this. And so he says to them, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. So uh, he's saying that what comes out of a person tells you what kind of a person they are. Like the kind of fruit that a, that a tree produces tells you what kind of a tree it is. This is pretty clear, right? But listen to how he ends. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. So the second big point that I'm making today is that ultimately our words are a clear indicator of who or what we worship, and thus, we will be held accountable for them. Okay. Guys, people who have been born again talk differently. Okay. People who have been born again talk differently. People who worship Jesus talk differently than people who worship material possessions. People who have 
God as their God talk differently than people who view themselves as their own God. Okay. Show me how a man speaks to his wife. And I'll tell you, not just what his marriage is like, but what his heart is like before the Lord. Okay. Um, is he kind and encouraging? Does he speak the truth in love? Or is he mean-spirited, sarcastic, indifferent? Brothers, marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. We are called to love and live with our wives in an understanding way. We're called to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. Do you know how that happens in large part? Your words. Your words. Sure, your actions are very important and they should be consistent. Okay? But spiritual leadership requires words. I'm not saying you have to say a lot of words. Okay? If you're a guy who's not really given to words, I understand that. But then you should be striving for the words that you do say to be Christ-like. Okay? This doesn't just go one way. Uh, wives who empower their husbands to lead, who are supportive, sweet, biblically submissive. I'll just say this. Um, there's not a lot of non-Christian women like that. Okay? These are characteristics of a woman who has taken seriously the word of God. But a wife who is nagging, complaining, bickering all the time, Proverbs says it's better to live on the corner of a housetop than in the house with a wife like that. So if that's how you speak to your husband, ladies, I would wager that not only is your relationship with your husband not very good, but your relationship with Christ is likely not super close either. Okay? Uh, this is really not rocket science. Do you see how words are a clear indicator of who or what you worship? Let me do this again. Show me how parents talk to their kids, and I'll tell you not just what their kids are probably like, but how their relationship is with their own Heavenly Father. Right? Do you treat your kids like servants when you need something done, and then like a nuisance at every other time? Do you sit your kids in front of video games all day and never engage them emotionally or spiritually? Are you constantly losing it on your kids? If so, probably no one wants to tell you this, but um, your kid is, is a brat, right? And it's your fault for how you talk to them and how you treat them. Christian parents, parents who worship Jesus, first of all, they talk a lot with their kids. They talk a lot with their kids because they, they view themselves as the primary disciplers of their kids, but also they speak differently to their kids. Right? Christian parents speak differently to their kids. I'm not saying that Christian parents never have to be stern with their kids or momentarily raise their voice in a disciplinary situation, but even the way an upset Christian parent speaks to their rebellious kid is different. It's different. It might be tough, but it's not condescending and overly harsh. Because behind the momentary disappointment is unconditional love and not a desire to punish, but a desire to see repentance. The same goes for our professional lives. Tell me how you talk at work, and I'll tell you who you're worshiping at work. Are you respectful to your supervisors, understanding of your employees, and do you address people and deal with people kindly? If so, you're probably a generally happy person with your work, I'll bet. Um, but also, uh, that's probably indicative of who you view your work to really be for. A Christian boss who speaks kindly to their employees or a worker who strives to 
faithfully do what their boss asks and treat them, uh, treats them well, right, tends to do so because they know that there's a boss above them. Right? There's a boss even above them. His name is Jesus. And he's asked us to do all of our work as unto him. On the other hand, if you're kind of a pessimist at work, who's always grumbling and tends to see the worst in people, and who doesn't respect your boss or speak caringly to your coworkers, uh, you might actually have not a work problem, but a worship problem. Okay, Sure, sometimes work is hard, but work is not a curse. And the way we talk about it generally is revealing of our hearts. And Jesus says... All of the words that we say on a daily basis to our spouse, to our kids, to our coworkers, and so forth, there is a record of them. There's a record of your words. They don't just disappear and go away forever. Jesus says there's a record of them, and they'll be referenced and examined again on the day of judgment as the fruit of of who you really worshipped in your life. James chapter 3, James, speaking of the tongue, says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. <laughs> so being the, the little brother of Jesus, you can tell where James got this teaching from, can't you? Right? His point is, church, that we should be thinking about the words that we use and working to ensure that they match up with what we say we believe. In Acts chapter 4, the, the Jewish leaders say of the apostles that while they were uneducated and, and common men, based on the way that they spoke, you could tell that they had been with Jesus. We should desire that same thing to be said about us because of our words and how we use them. Because what we say says more than what we're saying. What we say says more than what we're saying. Ultimately, our words are a clear indicator of who or what we worship, and thus we'll be held accountable for them. But finally, as I mentioned earlier, we shouldn't just be thinking about our words because of what they say about us, but also, also because of how they can spiritually affect others. Right? In my sermon on the tongue from the book of James several years ago, we said it this way, that, that words have power. Right? Words have power to influence the purpose and direction of our lives for evil or good, harm or healing. So let's, let's explore those two ways that our words affect others. In Proverbs chapter 4, we see a common theme where Solomon is writing as a father to a son. Okay? And, and I, th I think that from, from a New Testament perspective, we can interpret these passages really as God speaking to us as his children. So listen to these, these verses in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 say, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. For she is your life. And so the, the first thing I'll say about how our words affect others is that God's word should shape our words for the good of others. Okay, God's word should shape our words for the good of others. That, that's what Solomon's really saying here, right? That if we will treasure the words of God, then it's going to lead to flourishing in our lives. And as we flourish under the word of God and his wise instruction, the outpouring of our lives through our words into others will be good for them too. Okay, We read that earlier in Proverbs that a, 
A gentle tongue is a tree of life and brings healing. In John chapter 4, Jesus says that when we drink of the water that he gives to us, it becomes like a spring of living water in us welling up to eternal life. And so uh, he's not talking about literal water. He's talking about when someone places their faith in him and drinks deeply of his teachings. And so I think it, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say in this context that when someone is in step with Christ, their life, specifically the words they speak to others, become a blessing because they flow from the pure spring of new life that they have in Christ. But anyway, the ways I've listed in your notes that God's word should shape our words for the good of others are through five things. Conversation, counsel, correction, encouragement, or silence. So let's, let's take these one at a time. First of all, let's talk about conversation. Uh, conversation may seem like an ordinary thing, but it truly is a means of grace by which believers in Christ can bless one another as well as bless non-believers. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Some translations render that verse, Be devoted to one another. That is, take interest in each other. Care about each other. Be interested. Stay updated on how one another are doing. This happens through conversation. Conversation. When we actually spend the time to sit and talk with one another, it displays our care in a unique way. To sit and converse with another brother or sister for longer than a Sunday morning, hi, how you doing? Good to see you, right? It's an investment of time that displays genuine love for that person through a desire to know them. It's also often an opportunity for growth for both believers as they listen to and, and process the sanctified thoughts of another person who is striving to glorify Jesus with their life, right? So uh, anyone who has brothers and sisters in Christ who they spend time with like this on occasion knows uh, what a spiritual blessing it is, what a spiritual blessing conversation is. And this is, it's not super common, it's not super common in our fast-paced digital world. Sure, smiling faces and, and quick service are common in well-run organizations, but for someone to actually know your name and to care about how you are doing, that's rare. It's rare. When we strive to give that gift of grace to non-believers, it's likely to seem peculiar to them. And it can be a great way of segueing into gospel conversation. Okay, just a reminder, um, the gospel can only be shared with words. Okay, the gospel can only be shared with words. And so conversation is an important way that we should be using our words for the good of others. But next, Proverbs talks about words of counsel, words of counsel. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, I would define counsel here simply as speaking the truth in love. Okay, Speaking the truth in love. This is really, um, it's a really important way that all believers should be striving to use their words for the good of their brothers and sisters in Christ. In this crazy life, with all kinds of twists and turns, opportunities and temptations, we need friends who are rooted in God's Word who will tell us truths that we either already know but need to be reminded of, and here again, or maybe a biblical perspective that we have not been considering in that moment. In this sense, we who are following Christ are all counselors of one another. Right? We're all counselors of one another. This is a, a beautiful thing because Proverbs says, 
in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. In a multitude of counselors, plans succeed. And that is exactly what we have in the body of Christ. A multitude of counselors who can speak biblical truth to us in love whenever we need it, right? But sometimes we need it and we don't realize it, right? And that leads to the next way that we should be using our words for the good of others, which is correction, correction. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is um, kind of a tough one, but the reality is we all have blind spots in our lives, and at times we need to be corrected. Okay? We, we need friends who are willing to take the relational risk of wounding us with their words in a loving way, where they tell us that we're not acting wisely or that we need to repent for some reason. And when Proverbs says, not only faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy, I think what it's saying is that we may be prone to think that a friend is someone who would never risk hurting us with their words when actually someone who is unwilling to call us out, even when we need it, is not a good friend. That's not a good friend. If someone only praises you and would never criticize you, you should be cautious of making that person a counselor in your life. Okay? Because they're either, one of two things, they're either not familiar enough with biblical truth to speak it to you, or they don't love you enough to tell you hard truth when you need to hear it most. Okay, so I exhort you here. Surround yourself with friends who love you enough to use their words to correct you on occasions when you might need it. Okay, because we all need that sometimes. I've said a lot of words. I don't know. The elders might be like, we gotta talk to Tad for this. I don't know, you know, but we all we all need correction sometimes. But next up. Uh, everyone's favorite, encouragement. Encouragement. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the truth is, <clears throat> I doubt that any of us would say that we couldn't use more encouragement. Right? When it comes to words we speak to one another as believers, Encouragement should be high up on the word count because life is tough. Life is tough. We all have burdens that we're carrying around that other people don't maybe know about readily. We, we need to be reminded that Jesus is enough for us. We need to be reminded that we're going to make it and not to grow weary of doing good. We all need to be built up and we should be aiming to build one another up, right? To encourage each other, to stay faithful. But finally, an important way that we should all learn to use our words is not to say any at all. Silence. Some of us haven't quite learned that yet. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there's a time to speak and a time to remain silent. Right? And sometimes, for a variety of reasons, words are not the tool that we need. Okay? Maybe, maybe our heart is not right before the Lord. And if we speak, then we know what comes out is not going to glorify Him or help anyone else. We should stay silent in that situation. Perhaps if we're honest, if we try to speak to something, we're, we're not going to be any help because we don't know what to say or we haven't prayed about it and we need to process it first. 
Okay? In that case, it's good to remain silent instead of multiplying words. Or when someone's grieving, sometimes less is more. In certain moments, words are just not any good. And what someone really needs from you is just the ministry of your presence, right? Or your prayers. Or maybe they need a warm meal or just a hug, okay? But whatever the case may be, there are situations where, biblically, the wisest thing we can do with our words is keep them to a minimum, right? But now as we close, let's discuss the flip side of words shaped by God's word for the good of others. The Bible also warns us that if we're not guarded, then the world will influence our words to the detriment of others. Okay? Grumbling, gossip, flattery, and clamor, all being examples of harmful speech. So let's, let's go through each of these. Now, first on the list is grumbling. Okay? Grumbling is one it doesn't take a lot of explanation, right? Uh, grumbling is complaining. Grumbling, grumbling is complaining. It's, a, it's kind of a, a, a low-grade irritation with life that produces just a, a really discontent spirit. And it usually crops up when maybe something doesn't go your way. But honestly, here's something I've seen with grumbling. Grumbling is like the weeds in my yard, don't drive by right now, okay? Grumbling's like the weeds in my yard. It tends to multiply quickly when it goes unchecked. People who are not catching themselves when they grumble become grumblers, okay? And you know, this may seem pretty low down on the list of corrupting speech or harmful speech, okay? But God makes it very clear in his word that he does not appreciate grumbling. Okay. God does not appreciate grumbling. We see in Exodus that Israel continues to grumble against Moses. And then finally, Moses says, hey, listen, you know what? Your constant complaining and grumbling, it's not against me. You might think it is, but ultimately, it's against God, okay? And that's the truth about grumbling. Someone who is often complaining, this reveals a heart that is not content with God. And so we should be on guard against grumbling. The gospel should be producing thankfulness in our hearts that's able to endure circumstances that are less than ideal without complaint, right? Grumbling says, if my circumstances are bad, then I'm unhappy, right? Because God should not let me go through anything I don't like. <laughs> you see the pride in that? But Christians say, my circumstances may not be great. But God is, Amen. right? God is. And what he has shown me about Jesus is, is so good that I can continue to have joy no matter what. Okay, so that's grumbling. Second one is gossip. Gossip. Gossip is saying things about someone behind their back that you would never say in their presence. Okay. And just like grumbling, gossip is dangerous because it can really become a part of who you are, where you just start enjoying to talk about other people when they're not around. And then suddenly, you're not just gossiping, you're a gossip. Okay? You may not necessarily, when you're gossiping, you may not necessarily be saying anything about people that's not true, but the reason that you're talking about them has nothing to do with helping them at all, right? Has nothing to do with, with helping them or really the person that you're saying the things to. And so you, uh, you just develop an, an unhealthy craving to know things and share things about other people that's really none of your business to know or to share, right? 
And guys, listen, this is extremely hurtful within a church body because a church is a place where people should feel safe to share the most intimate details about their struggles without fear that anyone will find out who doesn't need to know. Okay? So if you are prone to gossip, which I'm just going to be real, we're all prone to sin, so we're all prone to gossip. Okay? So if you're prone to gossip, you are probably, then you really need to put that to death. Okay? Gossip is a harmful way of using your words, and it tears down the trust in a church body, in a church family. And for good measure... If anyone ever comes to you, okay, if anyone ever comes to you and they start sharing information about someone else and you know um, this is not in some way to help this person, all you have to say kindly is, hey, listen, let me just stop you because I don't think I need to know any of this. Let me write that down. Let me stop you because I don't think I need to know any of this. That would be a great go-to line. Now, um, if someone is genuinely asking for your help with a situation that has transpired with another uh, brother or sister, and they genuinely want your, your confidential advice or counsel, that's different. Okay? But we need to be cautious and make sure that we're not spreading or being a willing participant in the spread of gossip. Amen. All right? I didn't put this on your list, but also slander. Slander is a lot like gossip, but it's one step further. Okay, um, Slander is the spread of information about someone that is harmful to their reputation. All right, And listen, slander is absolutely unacceptable for a follower of Christ. Okay? It's unacceptable. Jesus has clearly outlined for us in Matthew 18 how we should handle disputes and sin within the church. I'm not going to go through those, uh, that process for the sake of time, but it, it does not involve, okay, conflict resolution never involves going around and trying to tear someone else down in the eyes of others. Ever. Never involves that. You may have been wronged. That certainly happens in the church. Because we're all sinners in close proximity with one another. But there are godly ways of handling it that do not involve smearing someone's reputation. Okay? And just like with gossip, you should not stand for slander. You should not stand for slander. If you ever hear slander, church, it, it might not have been your problem to start with, but it becomes your responsibility. It does. If you hear slander, it becomes your responsibility. It's not okay to sit idly by. It's your responsibility to squash it. Okay? It might be shocking. Okay? Like you start hearing some slander and you're like, oh, you're like disoriented. Like, what's going on? Right? That's normally how it feels. It's uncomfortable. It should feel uncomfortable. Because slander is anti-gospel behavior, and we should not consent to hearing it. Amen. We should be defensive of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the best thing that you could do if you encounter slander is pull that person aside and ask them if you can help them move towards a resolution with their problem. Okay? Because as men and women changed by the gospel, we should always be striving for peace and reconciliation. All right? But if that's not what the brother or sister wants, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's not, the best thing to do is just tell them honestly that what they're doing is sin and that they should stop. Okay? They should stop. Right? Because slander causes a lot of division and hurt and carnage in the church when it goes unchecked. Okay? All right, but third, the third way of using our words to the detriment of others is, uh, on, the other, on the flip side here, is flattery. 
So um, if, go- if gossip is saying things behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face, then flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say about them behind their back, right? And while I wouldn't put flattery quite on the same level with, say, slander and its ability to harm, flattery is disingenuous, okay? Flattery is disingenuous, and so it should still be avoided. Flattery works against true gospel community where we can be real with each other. The gospel frees us from having to be people pleasers and pretenders who act like we're always happy with one another. Okay? Sometimes other Christians, it's hard to believe, sometimes other Christians are going to do things that are wrong or that are hurtful. And you should not just smile and nod and sweep it under the rug. You should not do that, okay? You should say something in love. You should speak the truth in love. Also, I didn't put this on the list, but uh, very similar to flattery is that thing that people do in in church settings where uh, when people ask how they're doing, the answer is always, good, 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 right? Listen, no one is always good. (laughs) No one is always good. And the church is a place where it's okay to not be good all the time. So don't feel like you have to be a flatterer or a faker. Okay. But finally, let's talk about clamor. Clamor is defined as a vehement expression of dissatisfaction. It's like an angry outburst, really. And I, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here because I've already gone long, but it's, it's pretty apparent that angry outbursts are not okay. If you don't know that, um, angry outbursts are not okay. All right. Um, <laughs> James 1.19 tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. As Christians, we know that God is gentle with us. He's long-suffering with us. Even when we are deserving of his wrath, he is merciful because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And so we, we strive to always be that way with one another as well. So we should, um, we should really try to keep our emotions under control and not burst out into clamor or uh, fits of anger, as it's defined in Galatians chapter 5, okay? So um, those are some of the kinds of speech that take place uh, to the detriment or to the harm of others. There's more, but I didn't have time for that. And so these kinds of speech, these kinds of words, they corrupt gospel community, and they're a poor witness to the gospel. And so we need to be on guard against them. Maybe you... Maybe you realize that you do one of them, or some of them. And if so, I just want to remind you, brother or sister, there is grace for you. (laughs) There is absolutely abundant grace for you if you struggle with one of these harmful means of communication. But that grace for you is not just forgiveness for your sin, it's empowerment to change. It's empowerment to stop doing that thing, okay? To put that thing to death. All right. So let's strive to not be a gossip, a grumbler, a slanderer, or a flatterer, because these things are all false to the truth. But instead, let's seek to build up. Let's seek to encourage with our words. Colossians 3, 7 through 10 says this, and then I'll close. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Guys, our words are really important. Our words are really important. Speech in general, it identifies us with our God who speaks. Okay, And so how we speak 
reveals who we worship. How we speak reveals who we worship. When we speak in ways that are contrary to the gospel, it's, it's not Jesus who we're worshiping, and it hurts people. It hurts people. So instead, let's be wise with our words, and let's aim to always use what we say for the sake of giving life, encouragement, healing, and peace, just like God has done for us with his words. Let's pray. Father, God, you're good. I pray that I did a sufficient job in presenting this topic. God, it's so far-reaching. There's so much that could be said. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, this message on words mainly derived from the book of Proverbs, God, that it has been helpful. It's been helpful to those who are in this room. Father, I pray that it wasn't hurtful to anybody. I know that some of the things you say to us, God, are hard to hear. I often feel that way when I read your word. I'm, I'm pricked in my heart. I'm convicted of my own sin. And so, Father, I pray that everyone who's here this morning, if there's some way that they might need to repent in the way that they use their words, that they would do so. But also, God, that by your grace, they would strive to use their words to build up others, to have conversation, loving conversation with others, getting to know others, and also sharing the gospel with others that we would all view ourselves as counselors of one another, Lord, aiming to give wise counsel to one another. God, would we be a church that's not afraid to correct one another in love when it's necessary? And God, would we also be people who know when it's time to remain silent? Help us to do that as well. We love you, God. Help us with our words. They're so important. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.